Seeking for the help of the Lord, I direct your prayerful attention to Revelation chapter 3 and verse 21. Revelation 3 and verse 21. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. And that which is upon my spirit is the promises to him that overcometh. You find a similar word following every one of the seven letters to the churches in Asia that in chapter 2 and chapter 3 every one of them have a promise to him that overcometh. We would be reminded of the vision that the first chapter closes with, which is a vision of seven golden candlesticks. And the Lord is in the midst of those seven golden candlesticks. He also has seven stars which are in his right hand. And that is interpreted in the last verse of chapter 1. The mystery which of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the angels or pastors, ministers of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. And what follows then in the next two chapters are letters or messages to the angels or to the pastors of those seven churches. They were literal churches in Asia Minor. But in the prophecy here, they are a word from the Lord to the church right through these gospel days to when he returns again. Some have felt that each letter uh, virtually traces out periods in the history of the church. I don't feel so, and many godly commentators also don't feel so, but feel it more that in the picture of individual churches, there's picturing the varying situations in those churches, the things that they had to overcome, and those things that God's people in all of them, they experienced. And what a message, when we view it like that, we immediately know that the church on earth is not perfect. We must not expect a church in which there is nothing wrong, no error, and in which everything is perfect. It is true that there are two of the churches here, Smyrna and Philadelphia, of which nothing is said against them. But in every one of the churches, there are things that are to be overcome. There are difficulties, there are trials, there are things that... Uh, if we were left, they would overcome us and not we overcoming them. It is helpful when we have 
pictures in the word of God. It's hard to see our own faults. It's hard to see our own faults personally and as churches. But when we have held up before us another church or a picture of another church, then this is the way the Holy Spirit is used to speak to the churches. And so again, after each message, we have the word, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So we have messages to these churches and they are to us warnings, warnings of what we are likely to encounter and what needs to be overcome. And I want to look at that in our first point, what is to be overcome, looking at what is highlighted in these churches here. And it may be, of course, that you get mixtures of the things in one church and joined to another church, but the, the picture is given as individual churches. And the second thing is the secret of our overcoming, which is through our Lord Jesus Christ. We read in Revelation 12, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. And then the promises to those that overcome, which are also mentioned in these letters, there's promises there. And it is designed to be an encouragement to a church in tribulation, encouragement to the people of God, who perhaps the devil will say, well, if the true church is what you're in, then it will be perfect and there won't be problems and there won't be things to overcome. And this addresses that, that there will be. And it may be as well that our desire is to overcome something uh, in ourselves that is, is threatening us as part of the Church of God, the professed Church of God, and we struggle with it and we look for help, help through the Word and help through our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is an encouragement in saying, yes, there, there is a fight, there is a wrestling, there is to be an overcoming. But there are a people that do overcome and that they are delivered and that they are saved and there are the promises to them and encouragement because sometimes we get so discouraged, so weak, so despondent and we need those encouragements. And when we can stand with those and we say, well, instead of our experience being different than all in the Word of God, it actually accords to the Word of God and accords to the Church of God as well. And we need a right expectation of what is before us here below. That perfect Church is above. The spotless Church is above. But here below it is the Church militant. And our Lord said, In me you shall have peace, but in the world you shall have tribulation. And that also includes the church. You've only got to look back to the book of Jude and you find again a warning of those creeping into the churches 
and bring in false doctrine and error and troubles and trials in that way in the church of God. And so I want to look then at what is set before us in the churches here, look at each one of them uh, one by one and you see what the Holy Spirit has set before us as those things that are to be overcome. Our text is in the last of the seven churches, but we're going to begin at the beginning in chapter 2, in the first church, which is the church at Ephesus. And in that church, what was said against them was that they had left their first love. And that first love, of course, for the church of God is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. The church where love to the Lord is waning and their love of the world and the things of the world and the things that are not of God are becoming very, very strong. You know, often it is that the persecuted churches, maybe in other nations at this time, they look upon a church that is at ease and has much of the things of the world and they see the real danger the same danger what the Lord warned through Moses for the children of Israel going into the promised land. On one hand, they were promised with blessing, with houses they did not need to build, vineyards they did not need to plant, and they were to prosper. They had the Lord's blessing there. But they were warned to take heed that when the Lord had blessed them, that then their heart departed from the Lord and that they then served idols and just lived in ease. And that seemed to follow the church of God so often, even when they came back from Babylon. There they were making themselves sealed houses, looking after themselves while the house of God was laid waste. And they needed the prophets to come and encourage them again to build and to seek the things of the Lord. And so we, we might think it a strange thing that the church of the living God should become a church that really does not evidence a real love to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that how much springs from love. The love of Christ constraineth us. And our Lord, when he met with Peter, and Peter had been restored. His question was, Lovest thou me? Three times. And each time a, a direction, a command to feed the church of God, feed his lambs, feed his sheep. But the first thing was love. And we know from John's epistles, we love him because he first loved us. So the challenge, as it were, for those in this church, in the Ephesian church, was that though that church as a body was a church that had lost and left the love of the Lord, that they were to overcome that that they were not to be infected 
with that lack of love, but that they were to see that they might remain in the love of God. In one sense, this speaks to individual members of a church. You see something that is wrong in that church. You see something that is really sapping the life of it or unlike the church of God. And the message is that that is the very thing that you are to overcome. You're not to join with them, not to go along with them, but you are to overcome lest you be drawn into that same way, into those same errors. And so uh, the church here at Ephesus, are we like that? Are churches that we are part of like that? They don't seem to have a love to the Lord. There's a love to the world, maybe a love of other things. But Christ is not their first love. Christ is not what they delight in. And so that is what the people of God are to overcome, or that particular church as well, to overcome that lack of love. But what about the next church? The next church is the one of Samana. Now that was a church that nothing was spoken against. You might think, well, what has that church then got to overcome? Because the Lord does not reprove her at all. But we are told of that church that it is a suffering church. They are suffering tribulation. In fact, some of them were going to be imprisoned. Some of them would be put to death. So for them to overcome was not to be ashamed of their testimony of Christ. And when they entered into those troubles and imprisonments and even death, that they were to overcome and even be faithful unto death. So we mustn't again think, well, if a church is right, then it won't be persecuted, it won't have trouble, it won't have trial. It will. The church of God is a persecuted church. The Lord has said, I've given them thy word, and the world hath hated them. And he that endureth unto the end shall be saved. And so where we have those uh, tribulations and the adversary is much in persecuting the church of God, that is where we should concentrate our prayers, our effort, our desire to be helped, saved by the Lord, to overcome in that particular point. And I think to mention at this point, what is so vital is to identify those things that are likely to overcome us. We mustn't think, well, we'll fight against this and this and this and this, but the very thing that is likely to overcome us, we're actually ignorant of and are letting it go. We might be able to identify many things, but it might be with a worldliness, a lust, a desire for the things of this world, 
and we don't really identify that as really threatening us, and we're very zealous and diligent on many other things, but there's one thing that is attacking us that we're not really concerned about. And what is here, it's highlighting those things that are actually attacking. Many people can be very bold and very say they are fighting of things that really are not threatening them. Uh, but if we neglect those very things, and especially, and I speak against myself really, as pastors, if a pastor sees something that is threatening his church and he neglects to preach against that and he's preaching against everything else, being very uh, zealous in exposing all sorts of errors and, and troubles elsewhere, but the one thing that is threatening the church, he, he doesn't touch that. Well, that might offend people and, and that might send people away, so he doesn't touch that. But that is the thing that is actually threatening to overcome. And that can be individual as well. You know, with the children of Israel, when they were fighting against the Philistines, when Goliath was risen up, it was Goliath that had to be overcome to win the battle. Not anyone else, not someone else. That was the, the threat at that time. And throughout Israel's history, there were nations that came against them, there were things that they had to deal with in their midst, and those were the things that were threatening them that had to be dealt with at that time. And so here, with the Church of Smyrna, it is the very persecutions that arose because they were a faithful church. They were called upon to suffer for the truth. Then we have the church at Pergamos. This is a church that has told us in the word here that Satan had his seat. He was actually residing there and it evidenced itself in false doctrine and even in the doctrine of Balaam which was teaching the children of Israel to commit fornication and idolatry. That was the church there. Solemn thing when a church actually has those that hold false doctrine in it and it slowly is like leaven permeates through that church, undermines the faith of the people of God. But here is those that hearken to this word, those that overcome and they identify that false doctrine. We are told that there must needs be heresies among you. And heresies are serious errors. They're not just things that are not a deadly error. They're deadly errors. It's something like saying that the Lord Jesus Christ is not the eternal Son of God. That's why in J.C. Philpott's day, he contended for the eternal sonship of our Lord Jesus Christ. He wasn't just a son from birth. He saw how vital it was to contend for that truth, to fight against that error. There were those in the churches at the time, our churches that thought, well, Mr. Philpott, you're making a big to-do about nothing. 
it's not an important matter, just don't trouble the churches, just let things go. But he saw how vital the need was to contend for that truth. And the word says that there must needs be heresies among you, not outside, not in another church, but among the people of God, that they that are approved might be made manifest. So it brings those out of the woodwork that actually know the truth. You might get a situation where the pastor and the, the elders are silent, or deacons are silent, and, and, and they don't highlight this error. But one person that perhaps they might not even as yet be a member of the Church of God, and yet God has given them life, he's given them light, and they see what the error is, and they must needs speak out against it. And so we, we are not to expect that the Church of God won't have those that bring in errors. We should always be like the Bereans, even when the Apostle Paul preached. They searched the Scriptures daily whether these things were so. They didn't just say, well, it's the Apostle, it must be right. No, they got their Old Testament Scriptures and they tested what he was saying by those Scriptures. We only need to follow a man as far as he follows the Lord, and we are to test everything by the word of God. And so here we have those that overcome in this church because they do not follow along with those errors that are being set forth and uh, proclaimed even in, in, in that church. The church of Pergamos then was one where Satan had his seat and where there was false doctrine that was held. But what about the church of Thyatira? Well, they went in one step further. They did not only have those that held error, but that they actually taught error. They allowed them. That church allowed them to teach and to seduce the people of God. And it was to commit fornication and to eat that sacrifice to idols, teaching away from true and living God and uh, causing them to sin against the Lord, to do that which wounded their conscience and that which went against the word of God. And so again, we have those that are to overcome and they're to overcome those that are actually teaching uh, the error and to not be drawn away with that teaching. We have those that we are warned against in the word that have men's hearts or men's persons in admiration because of advantage. And it, it's easy for uh, those that say have had uh, theological training or those that are trained in the original languages, and they say to people, oh, that doesn't really mean that. If you know the Greek and Hebrew, this is what it means. And you can't challenge me because you're ignorant and you don't know the original languages, and I do. So people say, oh, really? You must be right then. And you have a whole church, as it were, bowing down to the supposed superior knowledge of this one that's coming before them 
And this is where you must be very mindful to overcome such teaching because the Lord has always ordained his word to be proclaimed throughout all the world. And David says, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. And the word he hid in his heart was a word that he understood. It was a language he understood, not some strange language. And so that applies. If that word is going to be of any use to the people of God, it is to be in their own language. And it is to be really noted that though the Lord used the confusion of languages to spread the people throughout the world at Babel, yet when the Holy Spirit was given, then was given the miraculous gift of speaking in languages. And though that instantaneous, without learning languages, is seldom, if ever, given now, yet there are those that have great skill and understanding in languages. Interesting, only just a day or so ago, and I read of a, a, a young boy and their, their parents were very frustrated because whenever he heard another language, he just picked it up straight away and he could be speaking another language and they didn't know what it was. He could learn so quick and we, the Church of God is given those that have the ability to learn languages and not only that, they have grace. And they have a love to the Lord as well. It needs both that, a good knowledge of one language, a good knowledge of another to be able to translate, and a knowledge of the truth in the heart to translate in a right way, a gracious way. And uh, so what was used then in the New Testament church was persecution to spread the gospel, not a difference in languages and so the Lord has ordained that the gospel be sent into all the world and that we should have it in our own tongue. And though you might say, well, that's how one version is translated one word better than another, yet by comparing scripture with scripture, where we have a faithful translation and we believe in the authorised version, we do have that as the mark of God's providence on it in giving it to the church of God. We may trust that in our own tongue, our own language, not be then deceived by others that will try and lead us away from the word of God because they say they have a greater advantage, a greater knowledge of the word. So whatever way it comes, there are those that teach error and lead away from the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a needing to overcome how many churches there are that once were faithful, once were good, but now are not. How did it begin? How did that slippery slope start going on? And how did that error start to come in? Didn't come in all at once, coming gradually. And it's a great blessing if there are those in that church who are not overcome of that error. Then we have the uh, church at 
It's sadness. Sadness is the next one. And those, God said that their works were found not perfect before God. They were exhorted to strengthen that which remained. The uh, church was ready to die and yet there were those in it that had not defiled their garments. In other words, their walk, their conduct was still as becoming the gospel. Again, in overcoming that, to have a church that is walking in a wrong way, seems to be ready to die in a very low ebb, very worldly perhaps, very carnal in the things that they do, and yet to overcome that and to stay faithful and to stay close to the Lord was what those in that church were called to do. Then we have the church at Philadelphia. Again, it's a church like Sardis that nothing was spoken against. But lest we think, well, because there's nothing spoken against by the Lord, there's nothing to overcome. But she was a small church. And a small church, how easy it is to become discouraged, disheartened, and to be ready to give up. And this was then what they were called to overcome. Overcome that despondency. Elijah was not the last one that would think that he's the only one left or to feel so isolated and low and he makes that complaint to the Lord. The Lord said to him he'd reserved 7,000 that had not bowed the knee unto Baal. But Elijah was very low and downhearted. But this church at Philadelphia, they were to hold fast and even though they had little strength, yet they were to continue to hold the word of God. That is what they were commended for, and faithfulness to the word of God, and they were to overcome. And really, I think today, one of the, the big dangers when there is a withdrawing of the spirit, when there's few that come into the churches generally, the church then is a great temptation. What can we do to encourage people in? We'll change our methods of evangelism. We'll make it attractive to the world. We'll hold some uh, amusement days or, or some get-togethers in, in ways that will bring, entice the world into the church and then we'll teach them the things of God. I believe many, many causes of truth have gone down a slippery slope that way. And because they are small and they are trying then to attract the world in instead of being faithful and bringing the word. I remember years ago here at Cranbrook and we do evangelism here, we do leaflet, the, 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 the town and it wasn't, I believe, said in a way that reflected the leaflets that we were using, uh, but the local pastor, the charismatic church, uh, he said, be very careful 
in the message that you give to the town in your evangelism that it is true to what you are as a church. So that when people, if people come in, they don't get a shock and say, hmm, this leafler gives an impression we're going to come into a, a lively, worldly church and they come in and there is a uh, traditional, uh, sober, reverent church, or oh, this is not what we thought it would be. Sometimes if you look at the university uh, websites, they have the student union websites, and I wish those of our churches that were near universities put about their churches on them, because seldom do you find one of our churches represented, but you get all sorts that are represented, and they'll say things like a lively church, a welcoming church, this group, that group, all the things that they do, and it gives the impression of a very worldly church. The student unions, they always recommend to their students, go around and try several churches and see where you fit in and where you can find that you're happy. But the sad thing is that our churches are seldom there for them even to find. And yet they should, because we know that the Lord will direct his people to where the truth is and what a blessing to those that come in and that they say, well, we have not found what we wanted in really religious social clubs, but here is the word of the Lord. But it's very important that whatever ministry a church has, whether it's in the schools or whether it is in the community, that it reflects the same doctrine, the same teaching, the same atmosphere, in every place, when I go into the schools, I don't just go in casual, I go in just the same as I'd be today in the suit and bring the word of God and speak to them in the same way that I'd speak to you. Try to keep it, of course, in language that I understand, it's simple, but not doing away with, with the reverence of the house of God and the word of God. So, a small church in some ways does open up many challenges to actually stay faithful to the word, not be discouraged and to overcome those uh, things that are likely to fall into otherwise. Then we have the church of the Laodiceans where our text is found. And with that church there's really... There's nothing spoken good about it at all. And is a church that was lukewarm in the things of God. And yet she was saying she had need of nothing and did not know that she was wretched and miserable and poor. And she was a chastened church. The Lord was chastening that church and calling her to hear his voice. Verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent. A lukewarm church, a church that did not give the impression that the message that she had was vital, that she was preaching the gospel to dying sinners. Uh, a, a church that 
gave the impression, well, true religion didn't matter and the Saviour really wasn't anyone to be greatly sought after. Ones in that church had to overcome that lukewarmness and that neither cold nor hot, that which the Lord said was so nauseating to him. So we have the picture of the church of God through these seven churches and the various things in it that were not good or that were threatening to lead us in a wrong way and the individual members and the church of a whole were called to overcome those things. Not to just lie down, not to just succumb to it, not to just throw away the church or be offended that such things should be in the church, but overcome such things. So how in the second place were they to do that? What is the secret of our overcoming? He mentioned as we gave our points that which is written in Revelation 12 and in verse 11. And if we read the verse before, we heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now is salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. And we think of this especially for the church at Smyrna that were persecuted and even unto death. But whichever way it is, there is only one way of deliverance. It's not through our own strength, it's not through our own might, but through the Lord. They overcame him, not only just through the Lamb, but through the blood of the Lamb. It is Christ that died. In the end of Psalm 25, we read these words, Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. And the Church of God, as we've seen, does have troubles. And the only way that they are to get out of them is to be redeemed out of them. That is through the precious blood of Christ. God is a just God. And instead of just passing over transgression and sin, not justly, he punishes his dear son. He lays upon him the iniquity of us all. And that power that is needed for anyone to overcome self and sin and Satan and the adversaries of the Church of God, it must be through the Lord Jesus Christ. A church that overcomes is a praying church. A church that seeks that help from the Lord, that cries unto him and that relies upon him to send deliverance and help. He mentioned about David and Goliath before. 
And we think of the children of Israel and what was threatening them at that time. And no one could be found for 40 days in Israel that would be able to overcome Goliath. And then there is Jesse and he sends his son. And his son David is obedient to go to his brethren. And the Lord in that providence brings David to hear Goliath. And he is called to, by God, to overcome him. David is a beautiful time of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord was sent by his father. He did his father's will. The condition there in fighting against the Philistines, that it was a victory that was wrought by David against Goliath and the children of Israel looked on, the Philistines looked on and the victory was gained and we look upon Christ and we look upon Calvary and we look upon what our Lord accomplished and that's why we have, and this is why I chose this particular verse amongst the seven in these two chapters where it speaks of overcoming to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne the Lord Jesus Christ hath conquered he hath endured the wrath of God he has gone down into death he is been raised again from the dead. He sits on the right hand of the throne of God. He is our advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He appears in the presence of God for us. He is the captain of our salvation. He is the bridegroom of the church that is his bride. He is the firstborn among many brethren the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. There is no salvation in any other but him. And where he quickens into life, where he gives life to his people, I give unto them eternal life, they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of mine hand. The working of that out is in a very real way in the church and throughout their lives the Lord overcoming for them all of those things. The fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. And solemnly there is many, and we think of the parable of the sower, uh, the seed that is sown, only one brought forth fruit, only one the seed fell into prepared ground. The others some took up with the word, with joy and then soon it went away some it was because of uh, the things of this world just choked the word it became unprofitable others because of persecution then by and by they were offended and each there was a reason why they fell away why in one sense they were overcome instead of them overcoming uh, the uh, lukewarmness, them overcoming in the hour of temptation and in the hour of persecution, or them overcoming with all of the pull of the world and the attraction of the world, they were overcome. And they were never again found in the ways of the Lord. 
But here is a blessing spoken of those that did overcome. And we must never forget the secret of that overcoming is not in our own strength, is not by our own might. It's as we call upon the Lord and the Lord appears for us and helps us and delivers us and saves us, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. The crown shall be on the Lord's head. There shall not be any that get to heaven and say, well, look at all of these that fell away and I didn't because I was stronger than them. And, and even say, well, I prayed more than them or I was more watchful than them. There will be those things in our lives that will take away our pride. It will take away our glory and put the crown and the glory on the head of the Lord. And if that is to be so, then it will be like it is in Psalm 107. Again and again they fell down, there was none to hell, and they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. And he that shall observe these wise and shall observe these things, even they shall understand the loving kindness of the Lord. So there is a secret to overcoming. And in one sense, part of that secret is those that feel threatened by the very threatening, by the very things that are likely to overcome them, they're drawn closer to the Lord. What a message it is to any who feels ready to be overcome from whatever thing it is that the very sense of that need, like Peter, the waves were to overcome him, sinking, Lord save me, and immediately brought forth those cries to the Lord, the Lord using even the things that threatened to overcome to bring his people closer to him, more dependent upon him, more to be looking to him, and more to be prizing that strength and that help from him. And so may we be very aware of the secret of overcoming our Lord Jesus Christ. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. But then I want to notice lastly the promises to those that overcame. Again, there are varying promises that are attached to each of the churches but really all the promises of God are yea and amen in the Lord Jesus Christ. But in some of these churches, if not all, you can see some kind of a link between the promise and the trial that they actually were walking through, that which they were threatened to have overcome. We think of the church at Ephesus, they were those that had lost their first love. To the one that had overcome, there is the promise that the Lord would give to eat of the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. That is to feed upon Christ. And really that promise is the very thing. There's a lack of love. What is more a reward or more a blessed promise 
of a soul that is seeking to overcome that lack of love than to feed upon Christ, Christ be precious to them. The Lord says in John 6, Except ye eat the flesh and drink the blood of the Son of Man, ye have no life in you. And the Lord Jesus Christ is that true manna, the meat and drink for the people of God. And that is the promise that is given to one in that case. What about the case of the church at Smyrna then? They were the church that nothing was spoken against, but they were in tribulation and some of them were being put to death. So the promise that is given to them is that they should not be hurt of the second death. After death, there is a judgment, and then there is eternal death. And so the promise to those that overcome there, in other words, not overcome so they escape physical death. Our Lord said, fear not them, they kill the body and after that there's nothing more they can do. But fear him that after you have killed, have power to cast both body and soul into hell. Yea, fear thou him. And so the promise to those that overcome there is that beyond death, beyond the grave, there is eternal life. And you shall have that. You shall not be hurt of the second death. You will not know eternal death. Yes, you will know death for the word, the same as the martyrs did. But they went from those flames to eternal life and to be with the Lord. So you can see the link with those promises that are given to those that overcame there. What about where Satan's seat was? That is the one of Pergamos. Those there are given the promise that they shall eat of the hidden manna, that they shall have a personal assurance of the things of God. You know, there's nothing that is a, a stronger fence against error and against Satan than a personal experience of the truth. If you read John 9, you have a dear man that was born blind, and the Lord healed him. And the scribes and the Pharisees, they tried all they could to blacken the name of the Lord. They said, if uh, this man, if he was God, he, he would keep the Sabbath day, and uh, we'd be Moses' disciple. You can be his disciple. And they cast him out of the temple. But that dear man, he said, that if this man were not of God, he could not do anything. And he said, one thing I know, whereas I was blind, now I see. And that, that was what was offence against all the attacks that they brought against that man. One thing that he knew. Remember a part in a road over in Australia driving to work and a particular temptation that came in how small your experience is, how little you know of the things of God and how do you know, you know that you're right. You have those that know so much more and not meaning to question others' experience but it come in in this way. Yes, I hear what others have had of the things of God 
And whether they're, they're true or not, I must leave with the Lord. But the things that the Lord has done for me, however small they might appear, they reveal. I've known those things. And the word of God says, Cast not away your confidence, which hath great recompense and reward, and also despise not the day of small things. It is so much better to have a little that a righteous man hath than to have great things, and yet perhaps they not be real things. The Lord has given us real things and given us a sweet assurance that he has begun a good work in us, then we know that he will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. The church of Thyatira, the one that suffered false teachers and had false teachers in it, the promise given to that one that overcome was that she should have power over the nations. That is gospel authority. What better answer and promise? Here are false teachers. And the Lord says to those who overcome those false teachers, I'll give you authority in the truth. Remember when our Lord contradicted and fought against the scribes, the Pharisees, they said, and it was recorded, that he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. They couldn't gainsay his words. And it is a blessed thing where there is given that uh, strength and in the gospel, in the things of the Lord, to, to positively teach and set forth the things of God. The church of God is not only to be on the defensive, but on the offensive. Not only is she to have a shield against error, she is to set forth truth. And that is the promise is given to this church in that case. We think then of the church at Sardos, which her works were not found perfect before God. There were those that uh, had not defiled their garments in that. But the promise that is given to them is really the promise that they shall be clothed in white raiment in other words, the righteousness not of their own, but of Christ. They were not overcoming in the sense that they were trusting in their works, but they were trusting solely in Christ. So often with the church, when it does descend into openly wrong works, those that would challenge against them and say, oh, you're legal, you're being too strict, you're, you're being too legal, you're trusting in your works. But the promise given to these, they weren't, they were contending for the truth because they loved the Lord, because they wanted to walk worthy of his name. And the promise that was given was that the righteousness that they had would be Christ, not their own. So then we have the church of Philadelphia. Nothing was spoken against them but they were a little church. So what was their promise that they should be? They should be a pillar, a pillar in the temple of my God, that they should have the names of God. Three times as it were written 
upon them, even here below, to be of those that were upholding truth, uh, those that were pillars. You wouldn't think of a small church as being a pillar or something to hold up, hold up a, a, a building or an edifice or to be like the pillars at the entrance to the temple. And yet the promise here is that this small church is not going to be insignificant, it's going to be like a pillar. Then we have, lastly, where our text is, and we read in our text, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. What a grant to those that overcome the lukewarmness, those that overcome the, the deadness, the apathy, neither cold nor hot. And yet the Lord says, you shall sit with me on my throne and adds to it this beautiful reason and likeness, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. In this picture, these churches, is a very real picture of the trials and tribulations of the church, very real encouragement that we be not overcome with all of these things, but rather overcome them through our Lord Jesus Christ. And in the promises, there is that which is to strengthen us and to help us to look to Christ and to count more precious than anything those things that he has set before us that shall be ours as we obtain that victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. The Lord, make this word a help, especially to any struggling with a particular aspect. We covered in a very broad brush, as it were, through these churches. But you can be sure with each one of us, it may be one particular thing. And as that is threatening us, that's where our prayers will be, Lord help me. That is where we will want to overcome in that one point. And it may be tonight with you is that one point that is so threatening and so looming, those dark and threatening clouds. May the word be an encouragement and help for us this evening. Amen. Amen.